we identified a market, product was designed, the product was built, pretty much they ran out of cash. And just as they're really running out of cash and pretty much laid off everybody, those customers started to execute two, three years later, and they're just starting to, to build. For anybody that's starting a company, you really have to understand that it can take not twice as long as you think, maybe 10 times as long as you think. And what does your cash look like? And how can you cut that cycle shorter? And how can you deliver more value to your customers faster? So again, this ties into a lot of lessons uh, that I would have had 30 years ago in Painters, but on a little bit of a different scale. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really excited about bringing on longtime alumni, Paul Kepfer, just multiple roles as managing director, vice president of sales, management consultant in the technology industry over the last 30 years. I had a super, super star career with us and then moved into it. And just reflecting back over the really, really monstrous career that he's had, what sort of lessons he's taken, how might you look at you know, the technology industry, a whole lot of our leaders will move into the technology industry. So what does that look like? You know, should I choose startup or a bigger company? What about working overseas? What that might look like? And how do you sell a large company like Boeing? Well, Paul has the answer to all those things and it reflects upon the types of decisions that he's made to have an incredible career. So it was awesome, awesome reconnecting with Paul. I know you're going to love our conversation. And you know what we're up to is finding amazing young people like Paul. And uh, so if you know any amazing leaders, please share our podcast. Please share the success that we're having. And uh, thanks so much for listening. You can reach me at cthompson at studentworks.com. Have an amazing day. Paul. I'm so excited to have you on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I know it's, it's just been great getting to reconnect uh, with you over the last uh, last few months, really. So awesome. Yes, it, it certainly has. Um, do you remember about five years ago, I think we met in a coffee shop in yes. Waterloo. You were in there to interview a few students. And so we reconnected on LinkedIn and here we are. I know I'm definitely one of the alumni. My years in painters, I think it was 91 and 92, if I remember correctly, was were, were my two franchise summers. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And it's, and it's fun. And one of the things I share with our leaders is it's really tough to connect with everyone because a lot of people aren't on social media. And it's, it's like you said, it was, it was funny just bumping into you go, Oh, that's Paul, you know, cause we used to do interviews on campus. And one of the places we used to do is uh, that uh, location Williams in Laurier. And now one of the cool things is we're doing Zoom meetings all over the place. And, and one of the fun things that Paul and I have tried to meet and tried to reconnect and try to reconnect, which is just busy schedules on both of our parts. Paul's got a background right now of Barbados where he spent about a month and a half. And I'm I, we're heading over Christmas. So, so excited. I know this won't be till the new year, but anyhow, it's just this it's neat, this new world of Zoom and how it's changed business. And, and I know you've worked around the world 
and it really has shifted things. So I so I know that'll be something that we talk about in the sure. podcast. But but Paul, let's bring us back to before Student Works. Who was Paul? What were you up to? What were you thinking about your future, etc.? It's an interesting question, Chris. So I grew up as a farm boy in yeah. Ontario. In the summers, I worked construction. So my first year in University of Waterloo, I was just wandering through Campus Hall, not really having anything in mind. And I saw, you know, pop-up booth that a couple companies had for summer jobs yeah. and summer businesses. Mm-hmm. And I wound up talking to you, Chris. Yeah. And I had no thought of doing student works or student painters. Uh, hadn't really painted for anybody before. Right. And I think I kind of wandered into it a little bit. And it, it happened that you had the, the territory of Stratford open. I know I wanted Waterloo, but you already had yeah. somebody. So uh, that's how I get started. Is that fun? And and so thinking back, what did you take from your experiences at, as an operator those two seasons? What did, what did you learn? What do you still apply? Oh, wow. It's interesting because, you know, in the, the years that I did it, a lot has changed. Yes. So, you know, back then, if you remember, Chris, we'd drive our uh, payrolls into <laughs> Toronto. Yeah. So it was like a good half, half day and we'd get to meet, you know, some of the other guys. So I know you talked a little bit about Zoom and that's one of the things that I miss is just really meeting people that I'm working with. Yeah. You know, there are advantages to Zoom because we can have a lot more meetings with people around the world a lot faster and see as we can accomplish more. But really to get some of the real work done, there's nothing like being in person. Yes. So, so I miss that. But to go back to your go back to your question, you know, one of the things that I that I really learned was just the, the power of doing it now. So, and you know, just taking responsibility. <clears throat> so I, you know, was worked hard. I was quite successful in, you know, setting my season up before, booking some work. I worked with my district manager and went, okay, I'm gonna like spread this work out, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, No, no, no. So what you're going to do is you're actually gonna go and hire like. 12 or 15 people set up a bunch of crews. And that was one of the best things that happened to me because I didn't spread my work out. I just produced it, produced it as fast as I could. And that led me to do a couple of things that I've kind of taken through my career. So one of them is when there's work, when there's opportunity, you do it. It keeps you hungry. I know there are a lot of times at night when I was tired and I'd go and knock on doors, cold call, uh, try to line up work for the next day because I had like 10, 12 people that were re- relying on me or they'd be able to work in a day or two right. if I wasn't continually booking. So it kept me really hungry. The second thing that it did that I really used in my career was focusing on the larger jobs and on quality. Right. So I was in Stratford. So there's some very nice areas, large houses. Yes. And then there's other areas that are that the housing is more average. And because I needed so much work so fast, I focused on the, the larger areas. So it's really interesting later in my career, there are a couple of times where I was director of sales in technology companies, and the companies would be like stagnant for five years and, you know, came in and worked with, with a team. And we go into like crazy growth mode, like, you know, two, three, four X in two or three years after. And a lot of that wasn't from hiring more people. It was from getting rid of all the, the the lower customers and really focusing on the work that fit the company that were the larger jobs and the more profitable ones. So those are things that I've I've learned back then and uh, yeah, attribute to that time. 
and still still prioritizing yeah and sort of finding exactly. your finding your best customer right like your best type of customer let's find more and more of those and then like you, you know again it's kind of we can do it nicely and some of it by just not approaching them but by firing customers now and the best customers literally fire customers like we're not going after that market anymore and and yep. and it's it really is a smart strategy to be really aware of and, and partly is who do we serve best who are we best at serving so that people really want us and then obviously they're getting great value and of course then we can get great value out of out of that because we're providing great value absolutely but as a 19 year old kid i didn't philosophize like that yeah i was like <laughs> Yeah, the coach was, said. You know coach said, "Go find some big jobs." Okay, I'll do that. Right, that's right. I was like, "Do I book ten jobs for one hundred and fifty dollars each, and how much time is that going to take?" And picking up all the materials and lining up my crews and yep. stuff like that, or did did I do one for one thousand five hundred? Yeah. And you know, by the way, a one thousand five hundred paint job, you know, twenty thirty years ago is probably about a hundred fifty thousand dollar job today. <laughs> but, <laughs> but certainly five thousand. Certainly five thousand. Sure. Yes, the average Absolutely. job size has grown. Why don't we walk through? You know, you get out of the University of Waterloo. What are you thinking about your future? You know, and and I know the future looks a lot different for our leaders graduating now, but I think the same thinking can be applied. So what were you thinking? What were you looking to get into, et cetera? So I'm going to back up first before I answer that, Chris. And the one other thing that I really gained from from painters, and that was, you know, understanding my com competitive edge. Okay. And if you're back then, there were no emails. There yes. were no cell phones. <laughs> you know, we didn't know. So going in that every two weeks for payroll and seeing where my name was on the leaderboard uh, was usually motivating for me. And yeah. if you remember, Chris, I had... I outproduced what anybody had ever done in that territory by at least three X both years. Yeah. And I I drove myself to be at the top of the leaderboard just because I, I I had to. That was that was part of me. After university, you know, I'd like to say, hey, I, I launched into a great career, but it took about probably about 10 years before I really found my way into the computer hardware um, mm -hmm. career that I've been in ever since. Because it, I, I went from you know a couple of different industries. And there were more the traditional industries where they weren't really my my drive, my drive to be the best, my drive to exceed. It wasn't right. appreciated. It was like, oh, well, we've always done that. Our incremental growth is going to be, you know, 3% and we feel really good about ourselves. Wow. But what about 3,000%? You know, that's, <laughs> that was, that was my mentality. And I was, I was young, I was aggressive. And so the, the tech industry fit that fit that part of my drive a lot better. So if you think back, how might you have chosen differently? And what might you say for our leaders, you know, to sort of get on that right course sooner? What 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 sort of thoughts would you have? That's an interesting question. And I don't know if I would go back and change it, Chris. Because okay. a lot of what I learned in those days became very useful for me later in my career. Right. I didn't see it at that time. So I think it's I would I would answer that by suggesting to people to really follow their interests and cut your losses if something isn't working for you. Right. Um, I also, in a lot of the different situations that I was in, I learned to be really focused and really happy and really deliver value where I am today. Right. And when I was able to do that, then the next thing opened up because I would understand that, you know, that part of me. So I, after, you know, I mentioned to you that I was in construction before I did 
you know, student works. I got back into construction post my university days. I was in there. And then I decided, I think it was yeah, the age of 29. When I'm 35, I'm going to be director of sales in a, in a tech company earning X amount of money. And I was. I, okay. I, I accomplished that. Just again, trying to get back to the thinking, Paul. So you moved into construction. Was that because you saw an opportunity in construction? You thought you thought you could excel or were you interested in construction? Yeah, it was more because it was in my my uh, my wife's family's business. Okay, okay, was why I did. So it was for family reasons. Okay, and like you said, I think I think successful people who take responsibility for their lives doesn't matter what happened. I got so much right. out of it. I learned. I grew. It's part of my path, right? Like so, I totally hear you. By the sounds of it, something got you going down a path. But what was really stirring Paul was technology. And so, Paul. Why don't you walk us through, you you transition out of the construction area, you set this goal, you want to be a, a sales director in a tech industry. So how did you go and pursue that? You know, where did you go, you know, et cetera, and, and talk, about, talk about those because that certainly is going to catch a lot of our leaders' interest. I jumped in and, and obviously the, the time... The timing probably wasn't ideal because it was 2000, 2001 when okay. the biggest tech crash hit. Okay. And so just like, like 91, 92 was apparently not a, not really good times economically in Ontario. Um, I still, I still did well yeah. um, in, in painters. Yeah. In, in the tech industry, it was very, very difficult for a lot of companies. I, I know uh, one of the first jobs that I had, I took a call from a customer in California they had placed about a $5 million order and they said, uh, we need to cancel it. And I said, well, you can't cancel it. It's not cancelable, non-returnable. And they said, well, we just laid off, you know, 98% of our staff today. So I was, I jumped into the tech industry. My first, the first two companies I worked with were doing um, channels marketing. Right. And they had software solutions for portals. So portals were a brand new thing that was all the rage back then. So right. I'm sure your new leaders will laugh at that. But from the, both of those companies ran out of money. They just they just couldn't get financed, even though we were successful closing deals. Right. And so I jumped into the the computer hardware, and it was the early days of telecom going into more standard more standardized computing. And it was exciting times. The company that I was working at was acquired by a large German company. And then the, the tech crash hit, and it hit hard. It was interesting. A couple of years later, I was in walking in a Lucent um, facility in Whippany, New Jersey. And there were, I believe there were like about three or 4,000 people that were working there at one point. And there was maybe maybe 200 left. The pigeons flying around the buildings. You look down the aisles, there's like cobwebs over desks. Uh, there was another company, the customer that we had that... You know, they went, they went from several thousand people down again to about 20. And I went to their facility and the, one of their engineers was walking around and, you know, literally everybody's computers were, were in about a thousand square feet on pallets. And he's like, look at all of this intellectual property. Nobody will ever open these again. Nobody will ever look at all this work. So that, that was the, that was the, my entrance into technology. And, you know, I learned a couple of things that were very valuable. And I think is is valuable no matter what people's pursuit is. One of the seminars that I was at, I don't remember the the guy said that, that talked about it, talked about rail lines in the UK. 
in the 1800s, early 1800s. So there's like the wide gauge, gauge, there's a regular track that we would call regular track today. And right. then there was a narrow gauge that would go down into mines, et cetera. Um, so you could have the best locomotive or the best car, but if your gauge didn't get picked, you're out of business. Simple and as so that. Yeah. that. That happens a lot in technology. I've seen that a lot of times in technology. And that's going to happen even more in technology going forward that we just don't know. We can't pick. So for, you know, all the future leaders, you know, a couple of books that I recommend, definitely The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. And, he, you know, he talks, he goes through a couple of examples like this in history. You can make the best buggy whip, but yeah. if the automotive auto, automobiles come, the automotive industry starts, you're not going to be successful. Right. Um, so you can make all the best decisions. So if I tie this back into, into what I, I learned in student works, it would really be to be resilient. It would be right. to be curious. It would be to understand, you know, what my value is, understand what I can deliver and adjust. Just to sort of add some more history. So there was a dot-com boom and bust. Right. There was the, you know, and, and there's there's been, uh, that was a greater bust, but there's been all sorts of industries that have look like they were going to be really successful. And then all of a sudden they're on the wrong track. And so if you're the best director of sales, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is that you're a really great director of sales. And then you go and say, I'm looking, because part of one of the things I've seen about technology, Paul, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it's almost like you need to do your job in your industry and execute as best you can, and then always be looking for what's happening and is my company well positioned? And obviously, hey, you may have stock, you may have an opportunity, but you always have to be looking because the last thing you wanna be doing is just kind of like, um, oh yeah, we're great, we're great, we're great. And then we're not great at all. Yep, exactly. My joke in with my with all the people that have ever worked for me is, you know, if you're a regional sales manager, you're getting fired every quarter. You know, so you just you just understand that. Just like you said, Chris, yeah. you understand what, what you're doing. You watch the trends, you watch the macro trends that, that are coming. At one point, it was very easy to start to run a hardware company. You could build a PCB, you know, you could be Apple, you could be IBM. And then after that, the next, the second wave of products that came were, were software, so SaaS products. Yes. And you could start with two guys in a garage. Um, Steve Case, who founded AOL, he wrote another r- really good book that has been a a guide for me in a, in a reference is called third wave. And so third wave are tech companies that are solving really hard problems. So it's hard to go and combine a lot of technologies in the medical industry because there's so many rules or the financial services industry because there are so many rules. So the next wave of successful entrepreneurs are going to take some of these technologies and combine the traditional with the new. You know, one question that, that I have for you, Paul, is, is you've been VP of sales and 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 having right. managing director and all these different roles. When you're thinking about a young person coming out of school, really interested in the tech industry, interested in, in having a big career, what would you direct? Would you direct them to a larger organization? Would you look to direct them to a startup? How would you look at that? That's a personality question. Okay. Because certain types of personalities do well in large organizations, certain types of personalities do better in smaller organizations. 
So if you're an entrepreneurial person, you like to be somebody that's in charge, you'll probably do better in a smaller organization. Okay. I've been in both. I like the smaller organization better, more agile, Mm -hmm. um, less rules. So as a, a director or VP of sales, if you're in a large organization, your day is spent in spreadsheets and preparing presentations and you know getting ready for investors. Right. If you're somebody like me, you're going to you know be a lot more interested in getting your hands dirty. What's the customer trying to problem trying to solve? Can we do it? How does our engineering team adapt? Do we have the right people? How can we go find the right people to go solve this problem? How big is the problem? What's the forecast? Who in the customer owns a problem? Are we understanding it properly, et cetera, et cetera? Right. Uh, so it it depends on 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 how curious you are as an individual and how much of an entrepreneur you are. That's a great answer. So it's more what type of a of a person are you? You know, it's you like more structure and um, you know a bigger organization. But it, and it is important though. I think one of the things that's important is to really understand the time where that company is in their growth. You know, so yeah. so just because it's really tough when when a company's been around a long time to really create a difference so that you can create value in the company. Because if again, if the company's not growing, you're not creating growth and opportunity, obviously your value is 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 much less. Yep, exactly. And in, and especially in tech, it's very easy to you know get lulled to sleep a little bit when the times are good and right. you, you become an order taker. So if you're breathing, people will call you and just buy from you because they need what you have. When the, when when times are difficult or the tide's flowing out of, of the interest, you know, of your technology, or if you're trying to evangelize a new technology, it can be very difficult to know how good you are. Right. Because nobody wants nobody wants to talk to you about what you're talking about. So you you need to really understand yourself. And you know, the the second case where there's a new technology that needs to be evangelized in the market is really the, the, the place where one can make the most money and make the most impact. Yes. Um, because you're not always going to be successful, but if you are successful, you're early. And like yeah. we talked about before, you might have the stock options, but it's also that, that personal pride that you have to go in and build something from, from bottom up, you know, against all the odds. And then one of the other things that I noticed you've done is, is again, managing directors, sales, sales marketing, and then also running your own business or consulting. How do you compare and contrast those types of roles, Paul, for someone in their in their career? I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit. And most of my career I worked for people. Mm-hmm. Um, after the the first the first, you know, I'll, I'll just say the first real hardware gig that I had as a director of sales, I left that I did consulting for a few companies from Asia that were trying to sell into North America. The the company that was here, unfortunately, this was 2009. Yeah, so I had some major um, career changes around the shifts in economies. Yeah. But in 2009, they closed. So I worked with a couple of the engineering directors that were in the company, and we took the customers and some of the 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 stock, and we created a new a new company. Took it. In a, in a little bit of a different direction around some new emerging technologies. And that company is quite successful. From there, I went and worked with one of the larger customers and I moved to Asia and I opened up a, a, an engineering branch and a business right. development branch for Asia that covered Asia. 
moved to the U.S. as their their global VP. And then after I came back to Canada is when I I um, opened the, my consulting business. So my consulting business really is combining all of my experience in what in the parts that I enjoy. So the sales management, the product management, the product marketing. I'm currently for one of my clients, and I'm working on refreshing their website, refreshing their branding, which I had done when I worked in the for the company in the U.S. Completely changed their branding and changed their message, and it was one of the one of the catalysts, not the only one, that really helped the company go from a number of years of being stagnant to some exponential growth. So the the consulting that I'm doing now is just taking my my 20 years of relationships and cherry picking the parts of, of <laughs> the rugged computing industry that I like the best right. and having fun every day. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. What about working internationally? What, what do you see pros and cons? How was that? How did you see that experience? Those were some of the best years of my life. I absolutely loved it. And I'd, I'd highly recommend it for my kids. You know, I'm trying to, to talk them into taking a year between high school and university. Mm-hmm. to go through Europe, go through Asia, and and just to experience the world. It's very, very, very eye-opening to live in other countries. Um, I loved Asia just because of the pace of growth. I did. A, I remember I did a presentation for the company that I was working for or that I was opening the office in Taipei. And 26% of the world's population lives in China mainland time zone. And that does not include India, doesn't include Japan and Korea, and 0.75% live in Pacific time zone. So we think we're important in North America, but we're not really important. Right. So it was it was very, very eye-opening, very humbling to go um, and, and experience that, experience a culture where I don't know the language. I'm somebody that sticks out a little yes. bit. I'm odd. And then just to have the the, the kindness of people you know, help me out. I built a fantastic team there. Um, so I, I would highly recommend it. You know, it, it, it certainly makes me appreciate Canada more, makes me appreciate North America more, but also to be much more of a global person. That's a pretty consistent theme people have uh, about, about the opportunity to travel. And like you said, and, and even more, like I think, and I don't have the experience of traveling and working. I guess I work, I should say I worked for four years in the U.S., uh, but, and that is actually a very, eye-opening experience as well. Like, you know, again, it's the United States and Canadians culture, very different. The values that we have, very different. Now, not always, but there's there's just a bunch of differences that a lot of times people don't see. When you move down and you live and you have more conversations, it makes makes such a difference. You know, how, how you go to market, et cetera, how you, how you coach people. So what about, you know, failures or mistakes and how you learn from those? Yeah, so we we all have them and you know we all have have parts of our life that when we're in it we wish we could change lots of things right and so if i look back on my life you know there's lots of there's lots of times lots of things that i would have wanted mm-hmm. to change them but i wouldn't change it from the perspective that i have today mm-hmm. everything the 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 times that you know i think i didn't in, in, enjoy maybe that i felt i had some regrets they all led to opportunities down the road. And I was like, wow, I wouldn't have been able to experience this if I wouldn't have had what was called a failure. Right. I would say that 
you know, there, there, there are a few things that I would pass on <laughs> that could prevent some of my dumb mistakes. <laughs> so one is certainly when in, in doing business deals to make sure that everybody's very clear about the assumptions mm. and to, uh, you know, have everything, have everything signed, um, have everything documented. It would have saved me, you know, several years of hard work Right. that, you know, several experiences that, you know, didn't go the way I wanted to. That's definitely a lesson that I've, I've learned multiple times in my career is, is really just to make sure that the assumptions are, are documented. The thing that painters gave me, and, and I know the name was student painters and it's student works now. So <laughs> still go back and refer to the That's okay. Says, That's okay. Paul. <laughs> uh, was, was really the, was really a sense of resilience mm-hmm. and a sense of, of, you know, it does. You know, it doesn't matter what happened today or or yesterday. Today, what happens tomorrow is I can choose. So my first, I don't, I don't know if I ever talked to you about this, Chris, but my very first job that I did in Stratford was was really a disaster. Like it was, it was difficult. So here I had these ten kids. I didn't know how to paint, and of course, I picked a house of one of the of, of an actor who's fairly famous. And instead of being there for like two or three days, it was like two or three weeks and, you know, you know a couple broken windows and, and, you know, all of the nightmares. And I was really asking myself, what am I doing? But out of, out of that, I persisted and, and I continued going. And it, and it was that some of those experiences were really uh, carried me later on in my career. Well, it's funny. I, I, as soon as you started, I go, oh no. Well, we have, we have so locked down how we start our business now. Yeah. So, so yeah. much more training up front. And then every first job, our business coaches, DMs are there. And we also choose really easy jobs and we build momentum. So let's not do that more challenging job until later and then let's let's because we can see pictures you know they're all up on the database let's go look at these jobs to make sure that oh this 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 makes sense this works because google's driven everywhere and taking pictures of all our homes so there's so many new so many technologies well you as a technologist knows this that make our roles so much easier so that hopefully we have less like literally trauma. <laughs> I shouldn't say I shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know, sorry for people who've really experienced trauma, but it is really, you know, traumatic having that, but you're right. Just getting, okay. And I'm going to stick it through and and things aren't going to go my way all the time. And, and one of the other things that, you know, like you said, you've had these things that haven't gone well, but also as well, your industry is really impacted by global economic impacts. Our industry, the student painting industry, really isn't, and the student window cleaning industry is not as as much. So you've had companies again fail because of it, and in the industry. So that's something as well that our leaders are gonna gonna encounter, where all of a sudden, hey, something's gonna happen in the economy, and it's really really tough. Or maybe your business is gonna go out of business, or somebody's business, or a supplier. All these things that again are many ways out of our control. But what isn't out of our control is how we deal with it. Absolutely. But laughing a little bit. So the, the biggest problem in my industry right now is success. You what, what used to take two weeks, you just cannot get parts. They're shutting factories yes. down. Uh, you can't, if you try to buy a car, you might be nine months. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of projects that I'm working on right now that are very impacted by 
um, but chain. just parts. It's just because everything is going um, to higher tech, autonomous. You know, I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate now, Chris. I I work on a lot of very interesting projects in autonomous, in robotics, in space, in in aerospace. Um, you know, next generation computing stuff that the the regular consumer probably won't see for about ten years. Oh wow! But a lot of these products really rely on very advanced technologies mm. and those are the ones that are very difficult to get right now so you know one of my one of my clients they have most of their R&D team rather than building products or, or or designing projects is just redesigning their current projects so that they can find parts to ship be able to ship to their customers wow such a a challenging world right you know all the different ways that we're challenged yeah yep you know and the challenges it doesn't matter where you are or what you do. The challenges are always there in whatever yes. industry. Yeah, exactly. So what about, you know, coming from that student and, you know, now being a, you know, value creator in the full-time world, what did you have to change about yourself, Paul? The thing that comes to mind, Chris, is that I, I really had to really had to tone it down and become okay. a, you know, team player. So I was working, you know, in various industries and various teams. And so they're, they're not as goal driven or not as, uh, you know, aggressive or not as hungry and, you know, far more patient. So now something can take one or two years where I want it done in 10 minutes. Right. That was one of the big things that I, I do. So of course now, you know, if I picked an industry as well, where the sales cycle for many things can be five years. Wow. And, you know, so we, we want a very large contract that I was involved in for for boeing um for a certain type of of, of airplane and it took five years to qualify and the product is going to ship over 10 years holy <laughs> so to maintain you know customer engagement to continue to maintain technology engagement you know requires a team of people requires you know being able to to work well with people to work well with the customer and and so those were some things that are that were adjustments for me that I, I I needed to move into, you know, before when I was, you know, working, you know, with works, there's something new every day. Yeah. There's, there's always like different projects, different things to win. So instead of winning two or three deals a day, I'm winning two or three deals a year. Yeah. And the other thing I, I sense, and again, this is always great sort of lessons for our leaders is patience. You know, it's just a long road you know, to get there. And, and a big reason is because like you're saying, it's a long road for a lot of these deals to get there. So it just, it takes time to move the world, as you're mentioning, especially, especially for some of these big opportunities. I'll say that too, for, you know, whoever I've, I've done a fair amount of consulting in the last five years with startups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the thing that's the most difficult for them is really understanding their place and getting their first customers. Yes. And there's a lot of different philosophies that come for startups. So you see a lot of engineering guys, they've got a great product idea. They just don't know who their customer is. And, you know, the market marketing guys or their advisors might tell them, oh, just go and build like a minimum viable product. So MVP became the big yeah. term buzzword a few yeah. years ago. And, you know, for some of the guys that I worked with, that, that was the wrong answer. Mm -hmm. They needed to go build something like Tesla did that hit the top of the market. Right. And then get adopted by the top of the market and then the lower market will adopt you. But the lower market, they didn't solve a big enough problem, a big enough return on investment to be able to 
pay the price that they needed for their product. So that that's really interesting for people to consider how you bring a product to market, how to understand, you know, how to have that patience. So where, where I'm going with this, you know, a couple of the guys that I was working with, you know, they we identified a market, the, the product was designed, the product was built, pretty much they ran out of cash. And just as they're really running out of cash and pretty much laid off everybody, those customers started to execute right. two, three years later, and they're just starting to, to build. Um, so for anybody that's starting a company, you really have to understand that it can take not twice as long as you think, maybe 10 times as long as you think. And what does your cash look like? And how can you cut that cycle shorter? And how can you deliver more value to your customers faster? Yeah. So again, this ties into a lot of lessons uh, that I would have had 30 years ago in painters, but on a, on a little bit of a different scale. Absolutely. No. And so what about, what about habits? What's the key habits that, that you've developed? So we started with a couple of them and I'll reiterate, you know, one is just to do it now, just ship what you can today. Don't try to, don't try to stretch it out, schedule it out. I've been involved. I was involved in a company that they would try to make sure that they hit their number every quarter, that they'd have their 5% incremental growth so that their financial people would be happy. Wasn't really in the best interest of their, of the customers. And, and sometimes the, the customers would walk away based on that. Another thing for philosophy would really be around, you know, over committing, but then over delivering. Right. So I talked about that, you know, as a, as a young kid, I overcommitted. I probably had no business as a, as a kid that didn't know what I was doing to hire as many people as I did and go after all the work that I did, uh, you know, but that was really what, what gave me the drive to go and over deliver. And then because I, I, you know, really also discovered you know, almost through accident, the importance of quality. I think that I, you know, we had our, back then we had our little binder and we had our little comment sheets from customers and took a lot of pride in a lot of very high scores from my customers. Right. And that made it much easier to get the referrals and to, and to have the reference accounts uh, because my next potential customers would know that I had been at so-and-so prestigious place. Yeah. And I pull out and say, this prestigious person said this about me, I can take care of your issue. Uh, So again, a lot of that really carries over in terms of what I've done on my career is, you know, try to work on the the, the prestigious things, try to have those prestigious references. Uh, Just a short story here, Chris, the the CEO of the company that I worked at in the US had a really good way of putting this. So he, he built a company, sold his company to GE. So he started another one. And for one of his first com- customers, he went to Ericsson. He said, you know, this, compu- this computer system and it's rugged edge, so it's probably costing like $85,000. He's like, I'm going to take that and I'm going to reconfigure it for you. And I'm going to charge you twenty five dollars for it. And he was making more money than all the other guys that were putting in the components to do 85 just because the technology had advanced a little bit. And he right. was doing, you know, a little different form factor. And I'm, we won't bore everybody with the details. But he, he you know, one of the things that he, he told me, is that when you're a small company or you're an unknown person, and this might go back to your career question about where to work to start, you need to work with the, with the, with the best people, with the top people. So if, you, if you're an unknown company 
and you you're selling it to startups. The startups don't know what they want. They can't, you know, they 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 take a long time to decide, or they might build their product wrong. For me, with the rugged computers, if I sell into Lockheed Martin or Raytheon or Boeing, they will give me a schedule. They're doing a technology refresh. I know exactly how much that money is going to be. I know how many years it's going to be. They don't have trouble paying. Yeah. They might stretch it out. It might take them an extra six months to make their decision. But as a as a small as a small company, I can't afford not to work with the best. Right. Now, when you're a larger company, yeah, you can afford to have you know some more more junior people on your team or junior customers that might make it someday. But if you're if you're young and you're starting up, you want to work with the best. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And so, final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, Paul, what comes to mind? I would say resilient. I would say someone that is is a good team player. They're really good with people. And I think the the real skill that you have to have to be a leader of tomorrow is just to be curious. What do people need? How are they going to use it? How are they going to want it? Why would they buy it from me? Why did they buy it from my competitor? Did they ever do this before? What are their other options? What are the options that they don't even know about? Are there other ways that I can solve this problem? It, you know, et cetera. So I think curiosity is really the, the the key for tomorrow's leaders. Especially, I think, curiosity in the tech industry is massive, right? Because things are changing constantly, you know, and and needs are changing and, and, and different uh, ways that you're doing it are always changing. You know, one of the one of the great things about our industry is yes, things change, but they stay a lot the same. So what right. it means is we just get to be curious about our our clients, right? And we get to be curious about our staff, and it's it's kind of a lower level of curiosity before we're again trying to trying to sell Boeing or Ericsson uh, or, or these enormous companies you have, which is just again a a different level, right? Which is which is wonderful. However, the, the curiosity of the retail buyer is also very important. Yeah. So one of the one of the top questions, I, I love this survey. So one of the top questions in a furniture store that they ask to get the best sales or the best you know ret- return on their advertisement. You know, people would walk in and they they tried like 20 different messages. People yeah. walk in and they'd say, What ad brought you into the store today? So it just opened up the, oh, I didn't, I, you know, I'm, I'm just shopping for this or my daughter sent me, but it opened up that story. So I think the curiosity in the home, you know, people love to talk about themselves. They love to you talk bet. about how they got there. They love to talk about the various, you know, uh, how they made their decisions, what they like about their house, about their neighborhood, what it's, yeah. what it's like to be there. So even as a youngster, not really having any training. It was the one thing that it did pick up in the in the student works paint um, training was just to ask those questions and to be interested yeah. in in people. Oh, you're a doctor. Oh, okay. So where did you study? And and you just just build that conversation. We all thought that with technology, you know, we're all gonna buy a vehicle. And if we want like a BMW 5 series or whatever we want, yeah, we're just gonna go online and we're gonna pick where it's cheapest in North America and just get a shift our house. But actually, the opposite is true. We all go and research and we figure out what we want. And then we drive to three people and we buy from the person we like the best right. and trust the most, right? So the salesperson, the person that we can connect with the most, has the best chance of success and, 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 and can have the biggest impact for a company. 
No, you are right. You're right. It's it's still that fundamental build rapport. And again, what's rapport about? It's about really again caring and being interested. It's and again, it's not being interested so that I can make a deal. It's actually being interested. And it's when it's hey, why 30 years after the fact, we're still interested in talking um and hearing about our our, our successes and progress and and all the things that we're up exactly. to. It's 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 just and you know, and and then oh great, we jump on a podcast, but we're interested and it's authentic or Again, people see through it. People don't want to do it. So it, so, so it just again, and it's what makes us human. It also, it's also just makes life more fun too, right? And that's the other thing as well is people understanding, right? When you're working with somebody, you're not having fun and enjoying it. If they're not enjoying it, it that that's going to be tough too. Typically, in most environments, I imagine. Yep, absolutely. We're we're all humans. We all went to school at one time. So no matter what a person drives or the house that they live in or the the job that they work at. We're all the same yeah. eventually. Exactly. We're all we're all connected in some way. And you know, to I guess that comes back to your other question. What is it to be a leader? It's to be able to make those connections. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Love it. Well, well, Paul, thanks so much for spending time uh with us today on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Really, really appreciate it. And uh wish you the best over the holiday season. Uh, uh, get some time to chill and uh enjoy your family. Yeah, certainly. And I, I hope you have a good time in Barbados, which was my adopted country for a few uh, <laughs> couple months, like you mentioned. And uh, check out some of the restaurants that we talked about. That would be, uh, that would be really cool. We will so, be. Lots of reservations. Lots of reservations. My daughter's made them. So it's awesome. Okay. Thanks so much, my friend. <laughs> you be well. Fantastic. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.